Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we are diving into episode 16 of season two of Twin Peak. The yes. Con- the Condemned Woman, as it's called. <laughs> and it's got me thinking, which woman are they talking about? Because there seems to be a lot of them <laughs> that are condemned. Yeah. Well, the one that we end on seems like the most a, the main focus yeah <laughs> this, we were just talking a little bit about it and i was saying that you know you were like i was not expecting to see what i saw and i was like yeah well mm-hmm. that that i wasn't either but it has lived in my brain for a very long time and i'll never forget yeah it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was it was like a little bit jarring because i think a lot of the show has relied on almost like just creepy acting and creepy like line readings and creepy things happening rather than like special effects a lot of the time and Uh this was like I think I thought it was great I liked um the inclusion of it in just this like one instance because it really threw you off yeah and I have some ideas as to how we might interpret it Hmm. when we get there (laughs) yeah (laughs) because like you know with Bob well I don't know Mm -hmm. talk about it already <laughs> i know it's like how can you not talk about it uh, well should we do first impressions yeah i was just about to say formally <laughs> <laughs> introduce the segment i really enjoyed this episode a lot i felt like we were moving real fast because we were switching scenes very quickly we were all over twin peaks and it was yes. just i was really interested in seeing this like i mean we only get to see like a little snippet of it at the end but like the delivering of the letters to Shelly, Audrey, and Donna, and then meeting it. I'm like, what is going to happen? I don't understand. Yeah. And I don't like it. <laughs> I feel like this was kind of like wrapping up a mini section and, yeah. you know, planting the seeds for the future, which is interesting because I feel like we kind of, it's been like three or four little sections of this second season. Mm-hmm. Don't, you, don't you think? Kind of in a way? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> there are definitely like separating points. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I don't remember specifically watching this one, but I do remember like, well, we'll get to the notes in a second. But like this was their kind of their breaking point before they did a six week hiatus. And um, I think at the time there was just a lot of like, I don't know. I think everyone was kind of like, what's happening with Twin Peaks? Because it became super massively popular. And then uh-huh. CBS was like, we don't want it anymore <laughs> kind of i mean so weird so kind of typical of a studio but like yeah i don't know if it was because they gave them so much free free will or free uh free reign. freedom free free reign to do mm-hmm. whatever they wanted with it and so like it kind of got to a point where they're like this is too weird we can't this is not what what we're used to and so there's yeah. always that one person who's like we don't want this anymore shut it down and plus right. you know <laughs> they got to the leland palmer part and like i think that david lynch and mark frost this is just me speculating but it seems like if i were them and i got to that point and i was like okay well we kind of reached where we were looking to go with the show but we wanted to live on and we're putting it in capable people's hands and we're gonna go off and do our own thing and so then all these new people are coming in having free reign to do whatever they wanted. And yeah. I could see how that would be scary to CBS. And anyway, it was at this point that they were, I guess, kind of like really trying to get rid of them because they 
put them on hiatus for six weeks. And then when they came back, they had like Saturday night slots or something. One of those like mm. deadly time slots. And yeah, you know, to try to kill the like, show. Yeah, you kind of knew. Oh, it's not going to last. <laughs> but I'm probably as a kid, I didn't realize that. And I was just like, when is it coming back? I'm going to die if I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's so it's always so interesting to me to think that CBS was the network that kind of picked this show up because it doesn't really feel like a CBS show. Yeah. And what's like kind of interesting is like if that had happened like nowadays where like the network didn't want it anymore, I'm sure a show like this would have been picked up by like a different network, maybe like an HBO Max and they oh, could have gone sure. really dark with it or did whatever they wanted. But I just I don't know. I kind of uh yeah, I don't the network, I guess they did I feel like they made their own mistakes rushing to figure out who killed Laura and all that stuff. Like I feel like it really kind of yeah. set off the balance of the show a little bit, but I'm yeah. still enjoying it. I'm still having fun. Oh, definitely. And I think maybe part of what, you know, normal people <laughs> who are watching it now <laughs> have a problem with this section is that it doesn't really have as much of the lore. So it seems like they're kind of yeah, like they, they tried to bring it back in. Yeah. Well, they there were a couple. I mean, I don't know. The last couple episodes, I think we distinctly said were particularly scary. So or at least some of them. Yeah. They have like a different tone. Yeah. But it's really not that much, you know? I always think of it as so yeah. long, but it's like four or five episodes. <laughs> like Yeah, you know. it's not very long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I am excited to talk about it. So let's go ahead and get into mm-hmm. the notes. Let's do it. I wrote like a ton of notes for this one because there was just a lot. Okay, so this one was directed by Leslie Linka-Gladder, who we really liked in the first season. She did it again. (laughs) And it was written by Trisha Brock, who also wrote Dispute Between Brothers. Oh, okay. Was our first one back, I believe. Yeah, I think so. It came out February 16th, 1991. And the only new character that I wrote down was Billy Zane. John Justice right. Wheeler. <laughs> He's the one I feel like I had questions because the first time I watched it, I thought he did one thing. And the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, he does that. So I think <laughs> yeah. I was like, we're missing some explanation here. But I, I did write down what just random thought within the notes. <laughs> but I kind of wish that Billy Zane's storyline, we would have find out that Ben invested in him because of Laura somehow. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if we never learn exactly why, because we know that he does invest in him, but I don't think we ever, I don't think in this episode it says like why he invested in him specifically. Uh-huh. Like, but I, if we never learn, I'm going to have it as my headcanon that Laura was like, you should invest in that person <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got an aura about him. I don't know. I just want Laura to be connected to this somehow. Mm-hmm. you know they make that mention in the script where audrey's like i'm only 18 but in Mm -hmm. reality because i was like please it looks like a child and i was looking it up and it turns out that she was 25 and he was 24 at the time of filming so (laughs) she's actually older than him (laughs) little factoids Catherine was reading Great Expectations when Harry arrives and i was like i wonder why is she supposed to be like mrs haversham or something because or, you know, like, what about Great Expectations? It's like... Maybe it's like a, it's been a, a literal interpretation of the tile. 
she has great expectations of what's to come. Maybe. It just doesn't <laughs> seem the most relevant to her storyline. No. This was Joan Chen's last appearance, although she did no. film some stuff for Firewalk with Me, That, but they're only in the missing pieces. They didn't quite make it into the movie. Mm. So we will see her again, but yeah, this is, well, I mean, kind of makes sense since Josie's. Yeah. <laughs> stiff ending she's kind of <laughs> yeah she's you know she's kind of gone <laughs> it's also hank jennings last appearance yay <laughs> good <laughs> good and it's james's last appearance in the original series oh wow really yeah i mean he will be That's back in firewalk with me and in the new season but well, of course and of course we lose thomas eckhart yeah. I can't really remember. I assume that Andrew Packard is still in it. I can't really remember what happens, but I only yeah. write down those few as, but this is like a lot of times we'll have a lot of people coming for the first time on an episode, but this episode, everyone's done. Everybody's yeah, done everyone's leaving. <laughs> I think that Joan Chen actually wasn't happy doing it anymore. Mm. She wanted to leave. And normally they wouldn't really let you leave because you have a contract and you have to film what you got to film but david lynch was like well she doesn't want to be here we can write her out and that's why <laughs> um she left so abruptly i think but then she i guess at some point later down the line had regrets about that because she wrote a letter to david lynch about josie being stuck in the doorknob and how she would like to come back to reality <laughs> <laughs> but i don't think she ever does so <laughs> She's stuck in there. <laughs> the letter is in the Twin Peaks and Rap book. It's very poetic, but huh? <laughs> I didn't write it down. <laughs> I did, however. Oh, also, here's a r- random little factoid. You know how Norma says to Hank, I'd rather be his whore than your wife. Yes. Well, Kate Winslet also says that line in Titanic. And um. in that movie, Billy Zane is in it. And so is David Warner, who oh, plays right. Thomas Eckhart. So... <laughs> It's just a random coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if they were there when she said that line. They were like, we've heard that before somewhere. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. They probably weren't there when she said that line. I don't know. I can't remember that movie at all. I mean, I, you know, I know what happens. Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote down the poem that the girls read, but maybe we should save that for when we get to it. That Wyndham Earl sends them. It sounds so firewalk with me. Like the Firewalk with Me poem, it just mm-hmm. it sounds of reminds yeah. me of it. Yeah, it just sounds like a very Laura David Lynch thing. <laughs> yeah, I think it even kind of the last line is, "What is all this sweet worth work if thou kiss not me?" It's probably a real poem. Oh, it is actually a real poem. It's by Percy Shelley. It's called Love's Philosophy. But I feel mm-hmm. like you could just put the ending of the Firewalk with Me poem like at the end of it in there, <laughs> like they go together somehow. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay, well, I've got the log lady intro. Yes, please. A hotel, a nightstand, a drawer pull on the drawer, a drawer pull on the drawer of a nightstand in the room of a hotel. What could possibly be happening on or in this drawer pull? How many drawer pulls exist in this world? Thousands? Maybe millions? What is a drawer pull? This drawer pull? Why is it featured so prominently in a life or in a death? of one woman who was caught in a web of power. Can a victim of power end in any way connected to a drawer pull? How can this be? (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) It's kind of a hard (sighs) word to say, drawer pull. (laughs) Yeah, drawer pull. Drawer pull. (laughs) Don't say that three times fast. (laughs) It's hard. I feel like David Lynch is probably 
probably has an appreciation of drawer pulls being that he is like a woodworker himself. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there's like a, <laughs> uh, what'd you call it? Like a sciencey math way of this is the perfect drawer pull. Yes. <laughs> I remember when <laughs> COVID first started and everyone was doing that meme of how I thought it was going to start and how it ended. And yeah. I did one for the podcast that ended with that drawer pull. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gosh, Uh, that drawer pull. Well, remind me to say the poem when we get to it, but that's all for notes. All right, should we do the recap? Yeah. So we are on episode 16, The Condemned Woman. And we open on a close-up of an owl and a chessboard with Wyndham's message to Coop playing in the background. Ooh. Coop has brought the recorder and we see the Billy mask. Zane in the credits and I go, ah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, when is he coming in? <laughs> He's brought the recorder and that disgusting mask. It's, it's terrifying to me. Uh, to Harry's office. And Harry is definitely spooked. And he's not letting Coop out of his sight. <laughs> Harry says... Something about her being beautiful. And I was like, it's a death mask. How can you tell it's beautiful? It doesn't look beautiful to me. <laughs> yeah, well, I was like, it just looks like a featureless face. Like, it just looks like a normal generic face to me. <laughs> it's like you can tell, like, how she looked. Yeah. <laughs> she was beautiful. I, I can tell weird. by this white plaster mask of her face. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> but Coop says that she was the love of his life. And then they have to get their next moves in order. So they ask Lucy to get Pete and the local paper on the phone so they can plan them the move. And she says she'll do it alphabetically. <laughs> <I love it>. <laughs> <laughs> She's the best. So then we go to the Martell residence where we see Pete serving Catherine and Andrew breakfast. I have so fun... many questions. Why is Pete making breakfast? Yeah, well, we saw, I think we see at the end of the scene that Josie was out getting, I guess, firewood. Gathering twigs. (laughs) Yeah, it was just like a bunch of sticks. I could also see Catherine being like, gather all the sticks out of the yard. I guess so. Maybe she's just trying to get her out of the house. As soon as you put your uniform on, I want you to go collect an armful of twigs, please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we see that he put a fun twist on Andrew's plate. Uh, Catherine is very unamused. That's why I said Catherine is not amused. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) she hates it. She hates their shenanigans that they get into. I think Pete loves Andrew more than Catherine. Oh, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's nice to him, so he seems to really like Pete a lot. True, true. (laughs) I did. I wrote, I was like, I wonder why they got together because Catherine is just so, like, not about Pete at all, ever. It seems. I get the impression that he kind of likes that in her about her. Like, he (laughs) likes the the belittling, (laughs) but maybe he's just really in love with Andrew. That's what it really came down to. Yes, that's that's what it seems like. But <laughs> as Pete uh, heads out to help Coop and Harry at the station, Andrew and Catherine talk a little bit of business. And then we see Josie come to the door and she sees Andrew for the first time and is so shocked that she gracefully faints. To the floor. <laughs> Someone get her some lavender water. Where's Eleanor when you yes, need her? <laughs> pronto. <laughs> Back at the station, Harry's looking at the Seattle paper, the story on Jonathan's death, and we see Hawk and Hank come in, 
And Harry gives him the lowdown on why he's definitely going to jail. No more deals. Thank goodness. <sighs> he's on crutches. Hank attempts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was nice to see the aftermath of Nadine's thrashing. Yes. <laughs> Interesting where, like, he's got scratch marks on his face, <laughs> broken foot. Yes. <laughs> I would assume maybe the scratch marks are from being thrown through that wooden shelf thing. <laughs> You're probably right. Probably she did she really tossed him <laughs> but um hank tries to bargain but doesn't work out so harry says no more deals joker. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i wrote nobody likes you hank <laughs> <laughs> but he makes a, a slight at josie being the murderer of mm. uh was it jonathan uh, no andrew sh- andrew packard oh, right, she right, hired right, him to kill andrew I believe. Right. And Hawk <laughs> kicks his crutch out from underneath him and gives him a little bit of a He's embarrassment. So dumb. I'm like, do you know how leverage is supposed to work? You're not supposed to immediately say no. it. And it's not supposed to be something that the person right. would rather keep quiet anyway. So <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> he was always supposed to be one of these like dumb villains where they're like not like a serious threat. And that's why no one cares about anything he has to say anymore. I guess so. I think he was maybe supposed to be scary at like the end of season one when... Yeah. Well, that's when we were kind of like... When he shot Leo and stuff. I was like, what did he do? (laughs) I just remember looking through (laughs) a window. (laughs) (laughs) What he's being charged with. (laughs) But um, in another room... (laughs) In another room, um, Albert is showing Coop that the same bullet that killed Jonathan was shot at Coop. And... Albert wants to go get her right now, but Coop wants to play it cool and maybe get a confession out of her. Albert gets the hand from Coop. Yes. <laughs> he says, maybe she'll grow wings and join the circus. <laughs> he really does not like uh, Josie. No. Well, he shot. She shot, shot Coop, who all the men love so much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> at the Great Northern, Audrey is learning the business by working in different departments every week. And this week is concierge. He's pretty salty. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> concierge is not very happy. But as she's getting settled in, a young handsome man walks up, Billy Zane. And she's very flustered and a little bit rude. <laughs> he looks so young. <laughs> he he does. I was like, is this supposed to be a businessman? Because this is a business boy. <laughs> I like his country twang music that plays under him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also he talks okay he's got that actorly way of talking so quietly that you're like mm-hmm. there's no way that you'd be able to be heard in this lobby so maybe no. turn down the mics <laughs> a little and talk louder <laughs> right <laughs> but we find out that he's very rich because he asked audrey to send someone to his private jet to retrieve his bag mr Rockefeller. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i wrote definitely someone to keep an eye on mm-hmm I did think it was funny that the concierge at the beginning of the scene was acting like she was trying to steal his job. And I'm like, why would she want your job? She's right. Audrey she's, Horn. <laughs> she's the heiress. <laughs> she's not going to become the concierge of this hotel. <laughs> right. Well, I wonder if maybe they're getting like a week off with no pay or something. <laughs> well, no, maybe he had to go be in a different department he didn't want to be in. Yeah. Well, he's looking forward to her stint in housekeeping. <laughs> <laughs> 
Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but Audrey opens a letter that came for her, and we see it was a letter that Leah was writing that Wyndham sent out to the three women. But we only have one third of the letter, so we don't really know what what is what. Yeah, the handwriting looks much improved from what we saw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely lots of practice <laughs> oh. um at, at what the next scene <laughs> yeah i was just thinking oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> <sighs> at ed and nadine's we see that ed has rebuilt the shelf that nadine sent hank through for the 15th time <laughs> right <laughs> he's probably a pro at it by now <laughs> nadine wants to have a serious conversation she says that her and mike are in love and she would never want to hurt ed but that her and Mike had a magical night together in the wrestling trip. And I was like, did they really? Because <laughs> I don't know, it makes you feel uncomfortable. Seems slightly inappropriate. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's never, it doesn't come off as predatory because Nadine is the best, but. Well, and he's a freaking 18 year old boy. I mean, come on. That's true. <laughs> he's making I, his own I choices. Guess <laughs> right. But God, but, I love her. <laughs> yeah, she's the best. She says that they have to call a spade a spade and that they're breaking up. I love how she's trying to let Ed down easy. I'm like, are you still going to live there? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where are you going to (laughs) go? But that's it for Nadine and Ed, as far as we know. (laughs) She's likely to kill a young boy. Right. I like how he said, all night. (laughs) (sighs) I think that was the last episode, but still. (laughs) Oh, this episode was all night. I was thinking of what I said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, he he was like all night. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was very worried. <laughs> he can take it. Yeah. <laughs> and besides, Mike was such a like jerk to Donna at the beginning of the season. I'm like, yeah, yeah you found true love with Nadine. Of course you did. <laughs> or not maybe true love, but you found <laughs> some sort of a connection. You go for it. Go for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we're back at the Martells, and Coop is questioning Josie again about Seattle. And she sticks with her story, but Catherine is listening in behind the blinds, up to no good. Coop is trying to get through to her, but she asks him to leave. And he informs her that her time is up. She needs to turn herself in at nine or he'll come for her. I don't know what Josie is expecting to happen because she's acting like she could just pretend it away and also cooper you probably shouldn't tell someone you're going to arrest them and then leave especially if they're a flight risk <laughs> which you already know for a fact that's yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> a flight risk for and she could go to another country very easily <laughs> yeah but she, i guess maybe she's like she's just spiraling yeah she's just like i know like there's the rings there's gotta the be something i can do <laughs> <laughs> yes all right, but as Coop goes to leave, Catherine comes in up to no good. She says that Eckert wants to see Josie alone and plays with her anxiety a bit. She's really cruel to her in this scene, I feel like. Yeah, very rude. And it seems like Josie's starting to lose control of her reality. I wish she had some sort of desperate plan or something, you know? Yeah, I, I think she was going to be like, her like mind was like constantly working. Like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Yeah. Catherine leaves a little something for Josie to find in the back of the bookcase. It's a gun. Oh, no. Josie does not have a good history with guns. Thank God the press-ons are gone. Right. <laughs> I did think that when I saw. Thank God these like ogre press-ons, they were so big. <laughs> Lord. Back at the Great Northern, Ben, Bobby, Jerry, and Audrey are waiting for a guest to arrive for a meeting. And it's the man from the concierge. I don't think we've learned his name yet at this point. Oh, yeah. 
Ben is uh, now a celery muncher. Yeah, he loves his <laughs> celery. <laughs> he went from being like bad and having all these bad habits to his Civil War breakdown to now like he's wearing a tracksuit. He's got his celery. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to save he's the pine weasel. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's definitely for a uh, ulterior motive. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of hard to tell. I'm like. It is for an ulterior motive, but is it also somehow real? Oh. I don't know. Maybe Ben did have like a revelation through all of that. I would think, I think he does somewhat. I don't think he's going to be as nefarious and like evil, but yeah. he's definitely going to get what he wants or try yeah. to at least. I like where he was. Oh, I guess I should let you get to it. That <laughs> <laughs> totally fine. But we find out the man's name. It's, is it John Justice Wheeler? John or Justice Jack? John. Okay, Jack is his dad, right? I don't know. I think they kept saying Jack something about Jack. The Titanic. And... <laughs> yeah, so I was like, okay, whatever. John Justice Wheeler, and it seems like the Horns have a past with him and his family. And Ben reveals that he asked John to join them on the board. And he reveals that they don't have the mill and the ghostwood lands anymore. Those have gone back to Catherine, but they still have the human spirit. And then he goes on a passion monologue about saving the little pine weasel. Okay, hold on, hold on. Um, okay. What? <laughs> I'm just looking at my notes and I feel like before I got to the pine weasel, I was thinking, okay, they're like, he came up the hard way and I'm like, he looks really young to be a, that rich yeah. for having come up the hard way. And yeah. <laughs> I got the impression in this scene that he was like, somehow he had become a rich construction baron like through some sort of construction like he came yeah. up through construction but then and there's I a later scene where oh okay okay he well, kept, ben made a comment about like jack he invested in jack when he was just hammering nails into wood or something i think i think jack's his dad john's dad well, i thought ben invested in john i thought he invested in jack but i don't know maybe he's just calling john too jack. many names sound the same <laughs> <laughs> How many names does one person need? I right. thought okay, I thought that John or Jack was the same person as Billy mm. Zane. And it seemed like it he was, was a rich dad. construction baron. But he also said he invested in him as a young boy when he was still driving nails into wood. This mm. is the part I, I need clarification. Um <laughs> but then later we <laughs> he says he does something completely different. So also yeah. Jerry has a band-aid on his forehead the whole scene. I'm like, what's that from? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering the comment we get from Ben later when they're all having dinner and he has to go to the kitchen, maybe it was an argument <laughs> with one of the workers. <laughs> well, he does want to roast the pine weasel, which is just disgusting. But yeah. he says they're really good roasted or something. <laughs> and yeah, they got his office oof. really cleaned up. Yeah. Really no more stacking <laughs> furniture. <laughs> And no more Civil War remnants. <laughs> but since the weasel is almost extinct, Ben's plan is to block Catherine's ghost with development until they could take another shot at it by using mm -hmm. the weasel as like a, a prop. Right. But I mean, what's he going to be able to do with it once there's an endangered weasel there? Just make a nature conservatory? I think basically what I'm getting is that he's going to use that to stop the development from happening and then probably <laughs> would not put it past him to get rid of the weasel somehow and be like, well, they're gone and now I have control <laughs> over it. So now it's not. Well, he does say he wants to maybe run for office. So maybe he's going to try to get it in endangered and then uh... he'll come run for office and be like, we're getting rid of all endangered animals. <laughs> You can kill them yes, all. Yes, <laughs> that makes more sense. <laughs> that makes sense. But it almost does feel like, you know, he really wants to save the pine weasel. 
even though I know he doesn't, but it does kind of. Yeah, he's very convincing. Yeah. And it does seem like Bobby got in the door at just the right time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he's an executive assistant now. <laughs> well, Quite a title know, change. From... If you're willing to be with Ben at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but we go to the double R and Shelly's cashing out a customer who she doesn't know is a psychopath. <laughs> it's Wyndham and he leaves his letter for her and leaves. Norma finishes, she just finishes up her phone call with her sister <laughs> and her and Shelly dish a little bit about it. Yes, her sister who is coming from the convent. I'm just excited oh, because she's coming and I know who she is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited. Hopefully I like her as much as I like Norma. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but Norma finds the envelope for Shelly and hands it to her. Shelly's confused and Norma says it sounds intriguing, but very dangerous. Yes, and I wrote, Norma definitely. has amazing instincts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to Norma. Except for marrying Hank in the first place. <laughs> well, you that know, was a long time ago. Though. She did that when she was young. But just then Ed comes in and takes Norma in his arms and asks her to marry him. And I wrote, finally, <laughs> explanation points. Don't even take a second before proposing. <laughs> no. <laughs> Nadine's like, let's break up. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go propose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even though we're technically married. <laughs> so, that's why it was so funny for her to be like, I don't want to hurt you. And he's yeah. like, okay. Please. <laughs> I've been waiting for this forever. But then we go to the, the woods by the old abandoned like lumber mill cottage. It looks very, I don't know if you ever watched those YouTube, like build a cottage in the woods. <laughs> yes because <laughs> it's got moss and stuff on the roof i was like are we trying to blend in from like so that planes don't see us <laughs> i guess helicopters maybe i mean it would make sense for him yeah but he's also crazy so it could be whatever <laughs> probably <laughs> but leo is sharpening a stick as Wyndham is singing in his I guess I would call it a trucker disguise. He's got like a stuffed <laughs> belly. <laughs> yeah. um, but Wyndham takes the sharpened stick and we see that he fastens an arrowhead on top of it. Oh, what is he up like, to? I wonder why he's whittling these skinny sticks. Second batch of skinny six sticks in the episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then I was like, maybe it's for an arrow. And then he put the arrowhead on. And I was like, I've seen this show before. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a not a true guess if you know the story. <laughs> uh, Leo gets a little too excited when he sees that arrow. Yeah, Mm-mm, I don't like it. Uh, um, we go to the jail, and Norma's coming to see Hank. <laughs> the last she time. tells him she's here for a divorce, and he gives her some sort of sob story that sounds fake, and she's very unbothered by it. <laughs> Oh my God. But he dares to ask her for one more favor to say that he no wasn't the one that shot. <laughs> <laughs> Nowhere near. All I wrote in um, this he wants section her... were little sentences with exclamation points. Like, shut up, Hank. Yeah. Don't touch her. No favors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, my recap is very biased towards Norma. <laughs> it's very biased. <laughs> well, I should hope. But he wants her to... Get, give them an alibi for him so that he can get off for shooting Leo. Ugh. But she refuses. She looks so and pissed. <laughs> Hank gets, yeah. Hank gets very upset and he asks for the alibi in exchange for the divorce. And she doesn't care and she leaves. And as she's leaving, he calls her Ed's whore. She responds by saying, I'd rather be his whore than your wife. Mm-hmm. And I wrote, face crack. <laughs> <laughs> I really needed her to slam the door on her way out, but she did not. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> this is when she should have had like a drink of some sort and just thrown it in his face. Yeah, I really need like some final fuck you to Hank, but we didn't get it. I mean, we got it, but it wasn't like yeah. it was in the normal way, which is way too nice for my taste. <laughs> yes, she took the high road for sure. And got a lot. She's a better it. person than me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I did. I did think during that scene, maybe I just hate liars, and that's why I hate Hank and Lucy. Like. They're my least favorite. Lucy from Lucy. The Sensibility. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were <laughs> talking about Lucy from Not Lucy from I was one. like, uh, <laughs> since when do you hate Lucy? <laughs> I don't hate Lucy. I love Lucy. But I hate the other Lucy. <laughs> <laughs> the other, other Lucy. Lucy Steele. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. Just realizing how much I hate liars. <laughs> yes. Maya's least favorite trait. Uh, back at the station, Pete is deciding what move to take next. And he decides on one that should prevent Wyndham from taking another piece for about five to six more turns. I could listen to Pete talk about chess for a whole episode. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> and eat donut. Yeah, that donut pile actually looks pretty good in this scene. Yes. Uh, I want donuts now. Always. <sighs> <laughs> Albert comes in and he tells Coop that the gunpowder residue on Josie's gloves matches the gun and that an eyewitness in Seattle ID Josie leaving was she leaving the car? I think so. I guess the car they found okay, Jonathan so he was killed. killed in maybe. Okay. I thought I had misheard and that she was leaving in a car, but um she left the car where Jonathan was shot. I think so. And then I just wrote, Oh Josie. Oh, there's so many manly stoic looks in this scene. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I think Albert calls her a bitch. Gotta get the bitch. <laughs> Albert. <laughs> He's not full of tact, that's for sure. No. <laughs> Back at the Martells, Josie is getting ready, and Andrew comes she in. She looks just like some she did in the very first shot of the series. I believe she's the first shot I, of the yeah. series. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I think we, it looked very familiar to me. Yeah. But Andrew comes Her in with some champagne. <laughs> yeah, which I was like, I like it better that way, not this like bulk cut you've been having. <laughs> oh, poor Josie. Yeah. I know that Josie's bad, but it just feels like she's getting so steamrolled by all these forces out of her control. Yeah, she's definitely like, I'm never like, I'm never upset with Josie really at all in the sense of like that she's a, like an evil bad character because I feel like her life's like her life has like the decisions people have made for her in her life have kind of put her in this position in a way. Yeah. And she's never really had like a fair chance in a way. Yeah. So. I mean, I guess if she had killed Cooper, I probably would be pretty annoyed with her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, it's like... But he's got forces working in his favor. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. Just feel bad for her. She apologizes for her role in his attempted murder and that he says he was angry at first, but came to understand that Eckhart was a very persuasive person. It's very, very nice. Very kind. He tells her the world is closing in on her and Josie asks what she can do and that he says she must see Eckhart. And I wrote, I can't tell if he's being like a little devious like Catherine or if he's like just being kind of sincere. Well, I think it's probably devious because Eckhart yeah. is like, I feel like to me, what we've learned in the series is that Eckhart is like her greatest like demon tormentor, you know? Mm -hmm. Plus the background waterfall noise gets so loud in the scene that you can tell that bad things are being... <laughs> <laughs> yes yes definitely. <laughs> back in then i guess another section of the woods james and donna are meeting up donna has set up a picnic for them and they talk a little bit about evelyn and 
Donna asks him to come home, but he says he can't. And then I wrote, Donna immediately says, yeah, you should probably go. <laughs> I was wondering why Donna wasn't questioned, because I guess James had come back from yeah. being questioned by the police. And also, he mentions that she's wearing the ring that he gave her. And I'm like, right. why are you wearing that? And I noticed that she's wearing yeah. pearls. And I was like, why are you wearing pearls, Donna? <laughs> I, I don't are know. You she's 60. <laughs> <laughs> she's an enigma <laughs> they kiss and then it kind of pans away and i wrote all that food goes uneaten wasteful <laughs> i think it's just weird like he's like i want to start over but and but he sounds like he's saying i want to start over with donna but he can't come home so like i'm like yeah okay. i think he just like wants to get away and then come back and restart is what it seems like i guess i mean but just like I, yeah I don't, I don't understand james because he's acting as if like he is the only person that is connected to everything bad that has happened in twin peaks you don't see donna leaving you don't see audrey leaving you don't see anyone else being like i gotta get out of here yeah he's definitely so frustrating in that way and mm-hmm. it is very healthy of donna to be like, yes, go. <laughs> it's like yeah. the first time that she's made the correct choice in her life since we met her. Yes. <laughs> I'm, looks, yeah, I'm ready to... Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, she looks way less high schooler than usual. But maybe yeah. it's just the pearls. I don't know. And she has her hair kind of like ba- hair band thing kind of pulling her hair back. So I think it makes her look a little older, which is... Yeah, maybe. I think she, yeah, she's growing up. Yeah. And she's got to deal with bigger things. It's been a very <laughs> um, influential month in the life of all of these people. <laughs> Seriously. Back at the Martell residence, Pete and Catherine are doing their nightly routine. What is Pete doing? When there's a knock at the door. He looks like he's doing something electrical. <laughs> like putting together a circuit yeah, or something. I I don't know. It was like maybe like some sort of like adult version of like, you know, like when they're like hook the potato up and it'll turn on the light or whatever. <laughs> it seems like some sort of adult version of that. <laughs> it's his uh, like fun electrical puzzles for adults box that he gets every month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they hear a knock at the door and it looks like Catherine refuses to get up to answer it. So Pete goes and get it and it's Harry. He's come for Josie. But they say that she went to see an old friend at the Great Northern. And he finds out that it was Eckhart and immediately runs out of there. Catherine is really not that great of a liar. <laughs> no, because he's like, <laughs> I feel like the undertones that Harry was giving was like, you're a bitch. Yeah, and Pete looks pissed. Yeah, well, as he should be. She is just mean old, mean old lady. But then we go to the Great Northern and we see Eckhart getting into an elevator. And then he finds out that Andrew is in there too, and they confront each other. Is this the first time we've heard him speak? Because I was like, your accent is cool. <laughs> oh, Eckhart? Yeah. No, I think we, he when he came to see Catherine the first time, oh. they they spoke. He does kind of have like, what I would call it is like like an Australian version of like a Fraser accent, where it's like, they're not British, they're just fancy. It does <laughs> sound like Australian. I looked him up and he is It's Australian, British. but fancy Australian? Yeah, so I was I just know. thought it was weird that he used it. Maybe because it's like China, like he had spent so much time in China, apparently, that he was like, well, that makes more sense for an Australian person than a British person. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's a lot of characterization to do for someone who's in like mm, two minutes of two weeks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but I was looking him up and I'm like, you've been in like 
everything that I've watched. So <laughs> Yeah, he's definitely got a really good uh, history. Yeah. But he tells Eckert that Josie was the one who warned him off of his murder attempt, betraying Eckert, and that he warns Eckert that Josie is coming back to him and that he should be very careful. A little foreshadowing. I did think that Andrew and Eckert would have made great permanent characters to Twin Peaks. Not that mm-hmm. the show really needs any more old men, but, you know, I love them, so... <laughs> Well, I would be interested in like a Twin Peaks prequel that kind of explores well, like, you know, some sort of Twin like Peaks tri- prequel, but well, I meant like a <laughs> a good like 30 years ago prequel, oh, <laughs> like yeah. where we could see Andrew and well, actually, Eckhart kind of do their stuff. Secret History of Twin Peaks does kind of we'll get to it. I actually have some stuff about that in the deep dive when we get to it. But hmm. does Eckhart say something about like, I took care of the sheriff and I was like, because I wrote down, wait, how did he, he take yeah. care of the sheriff? <laughs> I don't understand. What did he, how did he take care he, of the sheriff? He, he, uh, I, yeah, that's something I didn't understand because he, they brought it up and then he was like, he just said something like, I'll take, I've taken care of that or I will take care of it or I've got a plan for that or something. And I was like, what are you going to do? <laughs> oh my God. We have to remember this was, because I'm pretty sure the next episode has like a thing it. that happens that is like mm. unexplainable, but this is probably setting it up. And I've just oh, never connected the okay. two before. <laughs> so well, just <laughs> keep that in mind. We'll see if we remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but as the elevator closes, we see Ben, Jack, and Audrey eating dinner together in the dining room. What kind of convention and, do you think is going oh, on at the Great Northern? Oh, gosh. It looks like a square dance. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I was like, <laughs> we see the same like elderly woman that had that blue dress. But like uh-huh. it like goes down to her waist and it's like almost like a ballerina skirt because it goes really high up out. Mm-hmm. It's just so very interesting. But there's a couple of people in those like kind of outfits and they're all old. So I was like square dancing. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe it's like a square dancing convention. <laughs> <laughs> but we find out that Jack slash John, maybe. I don't know what his name is. We'll call him John. We find out John is essentially a company flipper. He comes in and... Makes them better and sells them for more money. Yes, which to me is like, that's not a good guy. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, you're kind of like a business shark, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. And what is this about construction? I do not understand his backstory. <laughs> that's why I was like, maybe because the horns, it seems like have had money. So maybe when Ben was young and John's dad was young, maybe that's who he invested in. And that's how the construction part got started. I don't know. Maybe it'll get explained in the next episode or something or later on. Maybe. I feel like they just did well, two completely different explanations in the same episode. So I'm like, I don't have a lot of faith. <laughs> Ben is called away by a waiter because <laughs> the chef tried to stab Jerry. <laughs> and I would like to know what happened. Maybe they just um, switched the scenes around. Maybe originally maybe. the scene was supposed to come first and that's why Jerry has the band-aid. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> that would make some more room. May, um, more sense. <laughs> that makes more room. <laughs> make room. <laughs> but that leaves Audrey and John to get some one-on-one time. And... Audrey is giving off very skeptical vibes about his involvement, especially after that explanation. (laughs) And she kind of just prefers to keep the business in the family because they've always done all right. And she's confident that they'll always do all right. I wrote Jack gets real soapy and (laughs) Audrey has to leave all of a sudden. And I'm just, I'm not getting a good feeling about him. Yeah. I think the first time I watched this, I must have missed the bankruptcy, whatever explanation, because mm-hmm. I was so obsessed with the fact that they were 
all eating in the Great Northern Dining Room. And I was like, don't you have your own dining room in your rooms? I feel like we've seen you eat there. Yeah. And it seems like the more appropriate place to be having this meeting slash conversation. Like a private business <laughs> meeting. Yeah. Also, mm. funny that Audrey chokes on the word virgin. And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he says, Ben was once a very good friend to me. And I thought, aka, he gave me a lot of money. <laughs> And that's what I was like, I wonder right. why. And I keep wondering, is it Laura? And Audrey obviously finds him very hot, but doesn't seem to trust him at all. Yeah. And well, also, blame how is he a world traveler slash savior and running a lucrative construction business? But he apparently wasn't running a lucrative construction business. He was running a lucrative <laughs> bankruptcy business. Well, we business. don't know. <laughs> how is he doing all this at like 20 something years old? <laughs> yeah. She's only 18, she says. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> okay, so I had a problem because I could not remember the name of the bar that they all go to. The Roadhouse? I can't remember what it's called. Roadhouse. <laughs> oh my God. I was like trying to figure it out. And so I just wrote like at, and I just drew like a line because <laughs> I was like, I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, um, but it doesn't say it house, anywhere on the building. Yeah, I but I'm, they've said it a million times. Yeah, but. definitely. But at the roadhouse, Donna comes in and she sees Shelly at the bar. Is this their first interaction, re- not at the diner? I think so, yeah. <laughs> and she reveals her portion of the note and Shelly and Audrey line up there to reveal the entire poem. Mm-hmm. And we see Wyndham down at the other end of the bar, eyeing them very creepily. And I wrote, I hope they all team up and beat the shit out of I said the Twin Peaks ladies perfect. do have a look. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, do you have that poem? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. By Percy Shelley. That's uh, Mary Shelley's husband, Percy I believe. Ah. Called Love's Philosophy. See the mountains kiss high heaven and the waves clasp one another. No sister flower would be forgiven if it disdained its brother. And the sunlight clasps the clasps the earth and the moonbeams kiss the sea (laughs) what is all this sweet work worth if thou kiss not me there's something about this poem that makes me go is this about a brother and a sister (laughs) kissing each other (laughs) (laughs) well it's it was written at a time where maybe that was a little bit of a blurred line (laughs) i don't know i find it somewhat reminiscent of the fire walk with me poem just because it's like Mm -hmm. how does it go Two posts passed on a foot. It just has the same like rhythm. It ends with if thou kiss yeah. not me, fire walk with me. I just feel like someone should do a mashup of them. I guess that would be our job, but <laughs> <laughs> you should do a mashup reading. <laughs> <laughs> I should. Okay, sorry. Almost done. I have yes, final it, this go a really long time because I just keep interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. It's very interesting things that we need to talk about. <laughs> but back at the Great Northern, Coop is playing with a fly fishing set. He's so cute. It seems like. <laughs> and Catherine calls to let Coop know that Josie is at the Great Northern in Eckert's suite. So Coop grabs his gun and heads out. And as he approaches the room, we hear Josie yelling and then a gunshot. Ooh. And then Coop rushes in. And I don't know if this scene had some like editing flubs, but. When we go in, we see Josie laying still with her eyes closed with her arm on Eckert. On his, and then he gets up and we see that he's been shot in the chest. And he's bleeding. And he falls. Look, yeah. I think they're just trying to make it look like, who's shot? Who's killed? And he stands up like he's fine. And yeah. she's still laying on the bed. But then he's shot and he dies. And then, oh, I'm not really dead. I think it was just like a... It was just like, um, I don't know, maybe I'll... 
for like yeah, two was, seconds. <laughs> maybe I was reading too much into it because like he like moves her when he got up, her hand kind of just fell off of him. Like she was like, I don't know, maybe she passed out or something, but uh-huh. it was just like, you know, I don't know, threw me off for a second. But after he falls to the ground, we see Josie up on the bed pointing the gun at Coop saying Eckhart tried to kill her. Mm. Uh, he like confronts her about Eckhart, but oh well. <laughs> I know. Well, <laughs> no, no chance now. Coop confronts her about shooting him and Jonathan, and she says she can't go to jail. And that's when Harry comes in with his gun out. He tries to reason with her, and she starts to cry. And she holds the gun to her chest, and then she falls to the bed, and it seems like she passes out. Harry goes to her and says that she's dead. Harry yelling before she passes out is like, yeah. gives me that like, I want to laugh and cry kind of a feeling. Like, yeah, it was very much like, <laughs> oh, I don't, know, I don't know what to feel. I don't know what to feel. And I I think I wrote, Josie spontaneously dies by sheer force of will, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She's like, I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> but just then the room goes dark and a spotlight shines on Harry and Josie as they fade out. We hear uh, Maniacal laughing as Bob comes from behind the bed and asks Coop, Coop, what happened to Josie? And he yeah. laughs as he fades out. I said, no, and it's then, scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the dancing man with the red suit from the, um, the red room comes. He fades in, starts to dance a little bit, and then fades out. And then Harry and Josie fade back in, and everything is back to normal. And as Harry cries, the camera pans to the bedside table and we see Josie's face in the knob, kind of yelling out a little bit, looking around. And then her face becomes a knob and contorts into pain. And then I wrote, what is going on? The most terrible knob of death. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so scary and, and unexpected. It. Poor Yeah, Harry. definitely caught me off guard. Did I already say during this episode, or did I say this before we started recording, that this knob in the thing reminds me so much of all the supernatural TV shows that I used to love in the 80s? Like, oh, I think you said it before. before. Oh, okay. Well, like, there was a show called Friday the 13th that I loved as a mm-hmm. kid that was like... It wasn't based on the movie at all, but it was like these brother and sister and they had this antique company and they were always doing spooky supernatural stuff. And I, I really love that show. I swear I should look that up and see if it's on a streaming service because I might just get like oh, sure all the is. nostalgia from watching it. Also, there was like a new Twilight Zone that came out. I distinctly remember a couple episodes of that <laughs> like <laughs> permanently in my brain. I loved those shows, but that really reminds me of it. I was like, even oh, yeah. when it gets weird, it's still scary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't, and it, I'm just like, what's going on? <laughs> and like, she's trapped, and I'm like, hmm. I had my own theories about like, was Bob kind of behind Josie almost the whole time? And yeah, I was gonna say maybe we should talk about this during final thoughts, but we might as well do final thoughts now because I want to talk about <laughs> why yes. Bob shows up, <laughs> why. The little man from another place shows up or the man from another place mm-hmm. shows up. Why Josie? So here's my theory that I was thinking about today. <laughs> okay. Okay. We know Twin Peaks is like a place where the mysterious supernatural forces are very close to the right. surface and are actively looking for people to possess, you know, or to right. like own. We kind of find out way more about it during Firewalk with me, like, why they kind of want this because they like kind of feed off of emotions in certain ways and so also 
I guess we kind of learned about it a lot in the diary. So I don't, because I don't want to like spoil anything, but like in Firewalk with me, we, and in the diary, Laura is always talking about like how like Bob kind of wants her, like he wants to possess her and she never really gives into it, which is why basically her ultimate end. But like, I feel like Josie maybe also has these forces constantly at her. I mean, obviously she was Mm -hmm. like Laura abused from childhood and had a lot of trauma in her background. And like, maybe she said, yes, you know, you can have me, but Mm -hmm. I don't want to like, you have to kill me. (laughs) And you can collect all of my, whatever you want to collect. And I don't know. I just feel like it's right there. So maybe like everybody in Twin Peaks almost has like, constantly a choice like am i gonna give in yeah. to the darkness or am i going to push it away and you know like yeah it's a real well i was just yeah i was thinking back to the i think it was the diary where laura talks about josie and how like josie is almost like like a version of laura but not as good like yeah. as like savvy in a way with like her kind of like a whatever she's doing and so maybe that's kind of how bob saw josie as well and Josie was just not as strong as like Laura to kind of push Bob back. And so Bob definitely had kind of free reign with Josie in a way. And I think it was like the ending with her like dying and her saying like, she can't go back to jail. I think she was just like, I can't like she, maybe she gave into Bob, like, like, I can't do that. I can't do this anymore. Like you have to kill me. Yeah. And also I feel like kind of what happened the wood of the doorknob and the woods of Twin Peaks kind of Mm -hmm. is related. And it's just, I think if, you know, maybe if David Lynch had directed or if we had had more time with this episode, maybe we would have seen her like in the actual red room with the curtains and everything. Right. But I mean, we never saw Leland there either, but we have to kind of assume, well, we, I guess we don't really have to assume at this point because we've only seen Laura there and she, well, I wonder, I I was say, I wonder if (laughs) Laura, is like the red room is kind of reserved for the people who are strong enough to kind of push against Bob because true. we only ever see Coop and Laura there. True, true, true. We don't true. ever see Leland. We don't ever see Josie. So it's like these people who kind of gave in to Bob and Bob kind of took control of them and it seems like killed them both. Yeah. They're never, they're trapped in somewhere else maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like Bob actively killed Leland. I feel like Josie yeah. kind of willed herself to death, but also with an assist. <laughs> Supernatural assist. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> oh, this show's crazy. I love it. <laughs> I know. Me too. It was psychotic. <laughs> uh, well, should we do the deep dive? Or wait, no, let's do our favorite. Yeah. Our favorite, favorite scene. scenes. Oh, gosh. I would say, I mean, there wasn't much to the scene, so I won't say it's my favorite, but I did kind of like just like the visualization uh, towards the end of Shelly, Donna and Audrey all together. Cause we don't, yeah. that's like a trio that we're never probably ever going to get. Totally. And so it was really cool to see them all together and maybe they'll sleuth together. Who knows? But yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed. And ominous to have Wyndham right down the bar from them. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Ooh. I felt very. Um, I enjoyed. <laughs> yeah. But I think my favorite scene was Norma and Shelly at the double R after Norma gets off the phone with her sister and they're kind of talking and they get the letter and Ed uh-huh. comes in and proposes to her. It's just very sweet. And it <laughs> was like us, <laughs> a little blip of like pure goodness that we get into a yeah. that we don't yeah. normally get. And I really like the scene preceding that where Nadine is like, I gotta let you down easy, <laughs> yes. Ed, but we gotta break up. 
I just <laughs> don't want to hurt you. <laughs> and I, I really like the end too, even though it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like I said, it's one of the most memorable parts of Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah, it's very Especially shocking. for this whole section that we've been doing. And it's interesting, like we, we reached like a almost like a conclusion, it feels like. For yeah. uh, like, you know, yeah. for certain storylines. Break off. Yeah. For a couple weeks. Yeah, definitely. Ooh, very scary. <laughs> so for the deep dive, I okay. did Josie Packard. Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and I was looking her up and apparently uh, Mark Frost did some filling in of her backstory and secret history, but he okay. fucked it up, in my opinion. He completely oh, no. changed her backstory, and I, I do like not that. agree with it because it does not fit with the characterization of Josie that we have known throughout the series. But I do have her card, which was written okay. long before that. <laughs> <laughs> it says that her birthday is September 2nd, 1962 making her a Virgo. Ah, okay. This says that she went to school in Japan, which okay. all this other stuff says that she's from China, but I don't know if they originally wanted her to be from Japan and later, but I'm pretty sure in the series, they say she's from China, right? I feel like they said, well, stuff about like Hong Kong, which I guess isn't, isn't that technically like its own place, but it's it's in China. Yeah. I guess it would make so sense she for wouldn't Thomas be Japanese to be there. Maybe, maybe it was... Maybe she went to school there because of like the who she was with at the time took her there or something. Okay. Well, I will tell you what I basically summarized what uh, we have as her backstory in the secret history. So it says it, it, yeah, it changed her backstory quite a bit. It says that she was the daughter of a prostitute and her father, well, that was her mother, and the father was an enforcer for a triad slash gang, I guess, in China. Uh -huh. says that she went to a boarding school in Shanghai where she organized her own drug trade and prostitution ring. Oh. It also said she started her own fashion label at that time and probably killed several people <laughs> by accidental overdose, purposefully, I'm guessing, like murdered them by accidental, oh. quote unquote, overdose. Mm. Um, it says she speaks six languages, which I can believe. Yeah, I can believe that. It says then her father was killed in a gang war and she was suspected of masterminding it. And... It says Thomas Eckert was obsessed with her for a while, but she ran away with Andrew Packard. This is all so much different than what we said in the show. Yeah. Uh, because of the whole gang war thing is why she moved with Andrew. And I said, I'm sorry, Mark Frost, but that's all a load of crap. <laughs> yeah. If that is truly <laughs> her backstory, then killing Andrew because Thomas Eckert told her to makes no sense. Yeah. And what also doesn't make any sense is like if her history is in drug trafficking, why is she not involved at all in the drug trafficking in Twin Peaks? No, I, they have presented her through the series as a victim, like of yeah. that she was sold to prostitution as a child, that she's actually, if this all was true, then she would be toe to toe with Laura. No problem. She would be the right. biggest bad of the series <laughs> but i'm sorry so yeah. i'm just gonna have to no, believe i agree that not mark frost but the author of the secret history you know the mm -hmm. in book author just got their facts wrong right yes maybe Thomas I, yeah i don't i don't like that because i feel like i like i like the idea of the story and like you said if that was like how it was truly for her then she should have been presented as like an equal to laura which i think would have probably been more interesting in a way yeah. i could see it but 
if we're going to kind of portray her in the series as like a different way, like I like the, then let's give her her original backstory. Yeah. It just feels like you can't just change that. <laughs> like it doesn't yeah. work. I'm sorry, but we'll just say that the author of the book, not Mark Frost, but the uh, person writing the book uh-huh. in character just didn't know. Maybe Catherine or whatever slandered her, did a hit job on her name, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> To make her look her like more of a mastermind yeah. than she was. Yeah, I like. Yeah, that's what we're gonna go with. <laughs> <laughs> because that's not how Joan Chen was playing it. <laughs> no, and that's like mean, not how we were given the story. Even yeah, she has a certain amount of culpability, of course, and she's not like good, good. But yeah, I just I can't I can't I can't get behind it. <laughs> to me, to me, that like in a way almost sets her up to be like a version of Hank, where she's like got this nefarious past and she's always been nefarious, but she's not very good at it, I guess, which I'm like, that's no, that's not how she's presented. So yeah. But this makes it look like she's way better, like killed several people, killed her father, initiated a gang war. I don't know. That's way out of the bounds of. Yeah. She should (laughs) probably be a little bit more sinister than she's portrayed. So yeah, I agree. Catherine's up to something. (laughs) Yeah. Catherine has been slandering her name. (laughs) (laughs) okay so it says she's a virgo i was thinking opposite ends like polar opposite pisces maybe okay they share similarities virgo and pisces but i don't know i just feel like she's more like adaptable she doesn't seem like yeah she's got a million different lists and plans going you know if she did i think that would have been like okay she might make it through this episode but no yeah it's more like she's trying to adapt yeah. to all the changing situations around her. and Yeah, she's more reactive than proactive. Yeah, yeah. and pleasing to everyone. You know, like, I can change yes. to be what you need me to be at any given time. Right. So I'm going to say yeah, I like that. more of a late, or maybe a March 2nd instead of a September 2nd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. Pisces. All right. Oh, I'll, I'm always like, we did it. Okay, no, there's more. <laughs> chaotic. I was thinking neutral, chaotic neutral. I think you could say evil even without this backstory or whatever. You could say chaotic evil just because. Yeah, that's but true. But then she's also got Harry. It's hard to know how much of it is like totally sincere, but it feels like, I don't know. She's chaotic. It feels like the Harry <laughs> stuff is, yeah, <laughs> definitely. It feels like the Harry stuff was genuine. It almost felt like in a way... Harry was kind of like her peak into like normalcy and it was kind of giving her like this could be like the life that you could have if you kind of leave all this chaoticness behind yeah and so she had like a mix of good and bad intentions so that's why I think like and it's also like she's very much a victim of her circumstances rather than just being a bad person yeah so I would but she say do bad stuff. she can <laughs> vacillate between chaotic Neutral and chaotic evil. She's like chaotic yeah. Neville. Evil. <laughs> <laughs> evil can evil. evil. <laughs> uh, and okay. Oh, this was interesting. What Jane Austen? Jane Austen. I feel like she could fit into a Jane Austen. Oh yeah. But we wouldn't know anything about her backstory. We'd be making it no. Up. <laughs> <laughs> to me. Well, and we kind of said this wasn't really Jane Austen. It was more Andrew Davies. But like in Sanditon, Clara, mm-hmm. she seems like a like a Josie character because we don't really know her past. And she's always 
planning something. Yes, definitely. I didn't even think about her, but yes, she would definitely be a good parallel to Josie. I was also thinking some of the like characters we never meet, like the, or even like a Mary Crawford from Mansfield Park, who's kind of, you know, out for what she wants. But I was, I was thinking Mm -hmm. like Eliza from Sense and Sensibility, even though it's not the it's not a great parallel, honestly, but I think that there's got to be someone <laughs> like that that I'm not thinking of at the moment. Yeah. Who's kind of like a, oh. I think Clara is a great one. Yeah. What about, um? oh my gosh, I can't remember her name, but at the end of Persuasion, she was the one who was trying to get with- Mrs. Clay? Yes. Or Miss, Cl- yeah, Mrs. Clay. <laughs> yeah. At the end, she's Mrs. Clay. <laughs> or maybe um an Isabella Thorpe. That's a good one, too. Or I guess you could say Lucy Steele, but I guess she could be a Lucy Steele. She she could be. If she had I less just feel like... bad shit in her background. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Josie just kind of has, like, a little bit of, like, this genuineness that kind of creeps through a little bit. Like, yeah. she never is like, I'm just going to be, like, evil and have do bad things because that's just who I am. But, like, she always feels like she's trying to be good in a way. Yeah. And Lucy is not. So. <laughs> <laughs> Lucy Steele, not Lucy. Lucy Steele. Let's clarify. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I think Clara is still the best. You're right on the money from the beginning. <laughs> uh, she's just, she's just on my mind. <laughs> she's definitely. I mean, she was in Sanditon, the original clip of oh, a she? novel, but she was not at all the same character. I don't believe. Although I okay. believe in the little bit, Charlotte does see. Clara and Edward, you know, doing stuff out in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe she was going to be that. Who knows? Who we just knows? have to make it up, and that's fine. <laughs> I already made some headcanon <laughs> up in this episode. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's fine. Well, I guess we already did our final thought. Yeah. So let's do recommendations. All right. Um, do you have one or do you want me to go first? Uh, you can go first. Okay. My recommendation will be music related. The time of recording this album just came out last Friday. It's uh, Mojo Mommy by Rosalia. She's like, I think I've recommended her first album on here before. Um, I'm a huge fan of hers. She's a Spanish singer from, she's from Spain. And she Spanish singer from Spain, eh? <laughs> well, like you know, if if I say oh, I Spanish singer, like are, yeah. are some people gonna think is she like is right, she right, Latina? Right, right. No, I was like, no, she's <laughs> European. Those <were> <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know how to like. I mean, personally, I would say she's Hispanic because Hispanic people to me are people from Europe. But oh, really? That's I how. Think yeah, Hispanic, this like like Latin America. Yeah, there's like, I think a lot of people use it interchangeably, which is fine. Like oh, a lot of the community does. Say Latinx now. Yeah. So that's how I just view it. I always think of Hispanic people as from Spain, but she is kind of like a, a Spanish like pop star and she incorporates a lot of like flamenco style into her uh, oh. music. And it's like this weird mashup of like flamenco and pop and a little bit of like hip hop. And it's just so good. This album is really, really great. She always puts out really good music. And she's really creative and a really great dancer. And I just really love it. And I'd really recommend that you guys listen to it. Uh, my fir- current favorite track, because it changes every time I listen to the album, but is Biscochito. It's very, very good. So give it a listen. What's her name again? Rosalia. Rosalia. 
Nice. I'm going to have a problem with my recommendations for this in the next Sense of Sensibility episode because I've literally become obsessed with something that is taking up all of my TV (laughs) watching time, like RuPaul's Drag Race did for many months. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But I, even though I was so reluctant to start it so many times... I gave in and started watching the latest campaign of Critical Role, which is a (laughs) role-playing game that's, like, shown Uh on Twitch and YouTube. And I've been following it since they started. I just never watched it because it's, like, four hours an episode. But they just... I, I say just, but they're, like, 17 episodes into... Their current, which seems like a lot when I say it like that, but most of their campaigns go for like 120 episodes or something. The last two did. Whoa. So if you can imagine four hours each, 120, there's no way oh I'm doing the gosh. whole thing. But <laughs> no, it's kind of, they kind of started over in the last year. So I was like, well, if I'm going to jump on board, I feel like this would be the time to do it. So I tried it out and well, I kind of started out just watching like other people's recaps of it. Until I was like, had become Uh so obsessed or obsessed enough to try to watch it. And then once I was like, oh, I'm actually getting into this, then it was like the only thing I wanted to watch. This is how my (laughs) obsessions work. (laughs) I try to fight it for so long. And then eventually I'm like, I guess I have to know. And then that's all. So it's probably going to be my recommendation (laughs) for the next two episodes. (laughs) But if you're at all interested, I would say now's the time to jump on because you know they now that they've been on for so long and they've got this animated series which i recommended which is what maybe kind of mm-hmm. start getting into it again they've they've got more money they've got better setups it just looks better everything runs be- better if you try to start from the beginning which i did try to watch a couple from the very beginning and I was like, I can't, I can't. It was like very, <laughs> the sound is all weird and they're still like, I don't know what uh, I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little like, oh, you're just getting started. Yeah. But it was, it's been fun to watch. The very first episode, they all come in with like their characters and it's just crazy. I mean, the amount of work, you know, I've always wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons and I've never gotten to me too (laughs) (laughs) me too maybe we should do a little dungeons and dragons i want to but i don't want to create a whole world myself just so i can play it (laughs) oh yeah someone else who knows how to play it be like okay i will be the dungeon master or whatever yeah (laughs) but eventually i'm gonna be like six years old and be like i should have do it damn it (laughs) make it myself (laughs) anyway the first episode they have all these characters and all these backstories that they're planning on revealing over time and so (laughs) they're just sitting there with all these like shit-eating grins on their faces like we've got secrets and we're not gonna tell them (laughs) (laughs) it was really fun sounds so cool yeah it's fun i love it they're all voice actors so they're like all really good and they get really into it it's like crazy improv or something with dice which is my favorite type of game to play is dice so anyway (laughs) that sounds so cool if anyone out there wants to invite me to their dnd game i'm just my job (laughs) (laughs) that sounds so cool one day maybe we'll i don't know maybe we'll um maybe there's like a starter kit or something that we can find that's like yeah here's a world builder like whatever we just play for fun another we're asking you for recommendations please tell us if you know where how we can get started because i i really honestly the day before i went into quarantine was the closest i ever got (laughs) and i created a character with a group of friends 
and who were going to play. And I, cause I like forced myself into this game. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next day everybody went into quarantine and then Ugh. the girl who was hosting it had twins. And I was like, actually we, we know her from this podcast, Laura. She was from the first oh, part right. of prejudice <laughs> movie, right. movie way long ago. But anyway, she's, she had twins, and I don't think they ever went, got back to playing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just um, like a torture. <laughs> it's right out of my reach. <laughs> and now that I'm watching it, I'm like, I want to play so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe one day sooner than you think. Let's try it. <laughs> we'll, we'll look it up. We'll make a whole podcast out Why of it. Not? Yeah, <laughs> we'll devote another part of our lives to it. <laughs> God, I have like four. I came up with another idea for a podcast. I've got like now four ideas for a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> podcast idea factory. Yep. <sighs> All right. Well, if you would like to get in contact with us, oh yes, you can email us. You can email us at mannersandmadness at gmail You can DM us on Twitter at manners and mad. Oh, nope at Manners Madness or on Instagram <laughs> at Manners and Madness Pod. And then you can leave a one minute voicemail on our website at mannersandmadness.com. Yes. And we oh. hope that you will. Oh, and on our website, I think we'll probably have a more of an announcement about this when we do our next check-in, which should only be a little ways away at this point. But I think we've given up on the idea of doing a Patreon for now. Just, it's, just, yeah, it's, it's not it's... in the current cards for us. But if you would like to support us, we do have a donate button on our anchor page, which you can get to through mannersmadness.com. Mm-hmm. And we would love it if you would give us some financial support. We absolutely, of course, we don't have any like tears or things or whatever. But like, if you give us money and you request something, we will do it. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. can request something and we'll do it regardless. Because but uh i don't know i'm not good at asking for money but we would appreciate it (laughs) yeah definitely i mean you know anything you know we're not asking for you know thousand dollars or anything crazy but you know if you're feeling generous and you're like you guys put me in a good mood today here's a couple bucks we would so appreciate it and definitely yeah it would help us be able to make more content because we've got other ideas That would be really yes, cool. very much. But every time I'm like, but I already have one podcast to edit. I can't do another one. Right. <laughs> Not for free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you're making money. So if you feel so inclined, we would very much appreciate it. Yes. Hopefully I don't cut all that out, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> don't. We want money. <sighs> okay. All right. Well, that's it for today. Next week. Thank goodness we're back to like, okay, this was 16 or? Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. Next week is 35 through 39 of Sense and Sensibility. And then we will do 17. Getting crazy. <laughs> yep. And then we only got three to four more weeks left of this little section. Wow. And we'll, mm, well, we'll still have a couple more Twin Peaks too. Right. But anyway. Anyway, I feel like I just can't stop talking today. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're fine. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you guys next week. Good night. (laughs) Bye.